We're just very glad today to welcome every person to our meeting and uh, we're glad that you've joined us. Today, it's Genesis continued. I'm going to deal with Genesis 26, 27 and 28 that talk about a beautiful woman, a frightened husband, a lusty look, running away, the great pretender with the hairy hands, and the ladder to heaven. Now, these stories teach us many things, but very much they remind us that nobody's perfect, not even the best, and that there's hope for every person in the world. I want you please to take your Bible and turn with me today to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 1 as we start our exegesis again of the book of Genesis, Genesis Unbound. Genesis 26 verse 1, in this church we take our Bibles and we turn to the passages because we believe that there's power in the Word of God. And therefore we want this power today to come out of the Bible and to come into our hearts and into our lives. Now verse 1 says, now there was a famine in the land besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. It does appear from some evidence that this term Abimelech is a title rather than a personal name. And this verse reminds us of Abraham going along and seeing Abimelech. You know the story that happened a long time before this verse. You know the story how Abraham said of Sarah, she's my sister, because he was afraid of Abimelech. And now history is to be repeated in the actions of the son. Very often what the fathers do, the sons do later on. Notice verses 2 and 3. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. God says to Isaac, I don't want you to go down to Egypt. I want you to stay where I have put you. Can I tell you folks something? Would you like to know the safest place in the world? Now I happen to work in Los Angeles where there are lots and lots of murders. One of our church members yesterday was mugged. We talked about that during the prayer ministry. Can I tell you the safest place in the world, the safest city in America? The safest place in the world is to be where God wants you to be. Can I tell you that? God says, you just stay where you are. Stay in the land. The safest place, I tell you again, is to be where God wants you to be. Even if you're surrounded by enemies and gangsters and mobsters, you're perfectly safe if you're in the hands of God. I think back to the year 1992 when we ran the great campaign in Nizhny Novgorod or the city of Gorky. And during the opening meeting, some hoodlums, maybe mafia, got in there and they threw a smoke bomb up on the stage. <laughs> and it was on fire, of course. 
And some of the team members who'd come with us from this part of the world uh, came to me and they said, we think we ought to go home. I said, why? They said, it could be dangerous. I said to them the words of Pastor Nubby Burns. We had a teacher at Avondale College who taught theology and homiletics. His name was Nelson Burns, but he was called Nubby Burns. Nubby comes from the Hebrew word Nabi, which means prophet. And so he had this nickname, Nubby. And Nubby Burns had a saying, You are immortal until your work on earth is completed. You are immortal until your work on earth is completed. You don't need to be afraid of people. You can stay in the land where God has put you. And I said to those people who'd come with us to Russia, stay with us. Don't be afraid of a few smoke bombs because if God is with you, you don't need to be afraid. If God calls you to Los Angeles, then stay in the land until he calls you somewhere else. Does that make good sense to you, my friend? Stay where God wants you to be. Notice verses 4 and 5 now, and please notice the texts. God says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and uh, my laws. These verses are theologically very significant because we're told that the man who is held out in the New Testament as the greatest example of righteousness by faith was a person who kept the laws of God. Therefore, we ask the pertinent question, what relationship is there between the grace of God and faith in that grace and the law of God and the keeping of the commandments of God? John Wesley said, and this is a great statement, Wesley said, we are saved meritoriously by grace. Meritoriously by grace. The grace is the merit. It is not our works. It is not our faith. It is not because of the quality or the quantity of my faith that I am saved. I am saved meritoriously by grace. Instrumentally through faith, not by faith. I'm not saved by my faith, by the quality of my faith, by the strength of my faith. The faith is the instrument that connects me to God and accepts the grace of God. Therefore, I am saved meritoriously by grace, instrumentally through faith, and evidentially through works. The works are the evidence that my soul is in the hands of God and I have been saved. And a person who is saved by grace through faith will keep the commandments of God as did the father of the faithful and his family, Abraham and Isaac. This is the word of the Lord. Notice verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Have you heard this story before? This is Abraham all over again. Abraham who said of Sarah, she is my sister. 
Now the son, many, many years later, says, she is my sister because of the weakness of his faith. And now we are talking, my friend, about one of the greatest of the saints. One of the greatest of the saints is still an imperfect man. And he says of his wife, she is my sister. Who was he kidding? Because verse 8 and onwards, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. And he said, that's no sister. So Abimelech summons Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say, she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. There's a great truth that should comfort every person. And that is the truth of justification. Before you can understand the truth of justification, my friend, you must understand two words. Standing and state. Say it. Standing and state. How is my state? My state is imperfect. I have imperfect faith, imperfect love. My state is imperfect. But thanks be to God, my standing with God is perfect because I'm justified through faith because of the grace of God. And justification because of the blood of Jesus because of the grace of God that I've accepted through faith gives me a perfect standing with God even though my state is imperfect like Isaac who had imperfect faith. This is a marvelous and a wonderful truth. But when you think of Isaac and you think that even the very best man could let God down because of fear. It teaches us the lesson that nothing good comes from cowardice and lack of faith. I love HMS Richards and his writings. The old man HMS Richards Sr. was my role model and my star and my hero. And he had a saying as the leader of the great voice of prophecy, have faith in God. I say, my friend, even when you're surrounded by foes and enemies and people who want to take you to court and people who hate you and people who want to destroy you, I say to you, don't be afraid. Have faith in God. You don't need to be afraid of any person when God is on your side. Make sure you're on God's side. Verses 12 to 24 tell us how to handle conflict and opposition. Everybody, notice the text. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. 
Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, for you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. There's something in us when we are attacked that says, fight back. God says, don't fight. Let them have it. Someone says, that doesn't make sense. Neither does the gospel, that I can be saved by his works. But here they fought over wells. But God says, don't fight over it. When Jesus came, he took it further. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. When they slap you here, turn the other cheek cheek don't hire an attorney and take them to court turn the other cheek people say it doesn't work in this world i ask you can you think of a better thing does violence work does hatred work somewhere somebody has to break the circle of hate and the circle of violence and the circle of meanness Jesus said, if they ask you to carry their baggage for a mile, as the Roman soldiers had the right to do, Jesus said, carry it two miles. Thus we have the expression, going the second mile. Because a Jew in the days of Jesus, when a Roman soldier came to him and heard the words, carry my bag. He was forced by Roman law to carry it for a mile. But then he would find at the end of that mile the biggest hole in the road that was full of mud and throw it in. But Jesus said, go two miles. I believe the best way to deal with mean, twisted people is by grace. If you dig the well and they take it off you, let them have it. Go and dig another one. If they take it off you, move on and dig another one. And if God is with you, he will bless you a hundredfold. 
If God is with us, we need not fear the Philistines, even though they're dressed in the robes of the pious. In spite of opposition, Isaac flourished. So will you. The blessing of God makes rich. Some time ago, I think it was years ago, I told some of my friends a story of Curly and the Cake. A man who came to my meetings, when he left the meetings, he asked me to come down and visit him on his farm. I was running meetings in Mwollombar, which is in North New South Wales in Australia. Not to be confused with South New South Wales. North New South Wales. And Curly was a lay minister with a heart for God. When we drove down to see this man, I was the pastor trying to maintain as much dignity as I could under the circumstances. He was rude and abusive and kicked us out, threw us off his property and asked us to give him a pastoral visit. So I got in my car, drove off with some righteous indignation. Curly knew the man's birthday. I was surprised that he'd ever been born, this man. I could have believed that he'd been found under a turnip or something like this. <laughs> but Curly found out when his birthday was and prepared a tremendous birthday cake. Went down, knocked on the door. The man came out cursing and swearing to be met by Curly singing happy birthday. That's a hard act to beat, isn't it? Mm -hmm. He won that man's heart through grace and kindness. When people are mean to you, don't hire an attorney and attack them. Dig another well, and God will bless that well. You see, the blessing of God makes rich. Notice chapter 27. This talks about the great pretender with the hairy hands and the woman who took matters that belonged to God alone into her own hands. Chapter 27, verse 1. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said, My son, here I am, he answered. Now Isaac was not as old as he thought he was. Isaac was sick. And when people get sick, particularly if they're men, they think they're going to die. I've often thought I was going to die, only to surprise myself by living. Men get sicker than women. Did you know this? If a man gets a headache, he's going to die. Isaac had got a headache. You know how long Isaac lived after this? 43 years, the old sinner. 43 years. And so... Isaac has got a cold, and so he says, I'm going to die. So, see, they didn't have any of those antibiotics, so he thought he was on his last legs. And verses 2 to 4, Isaac said, I'm now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and get out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. That sort of gives the game away, doesn't it? Here's a man who's dying, and all he's thinking of is his stomach. 
He says, come in, boy, I'm going to bless you, but before I bless you, get out there and get me a good meal of venison or something. As my wife would say, a very typical male. Verse 4, prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now this blessing, as you know, was the blessing of the birthright. To be the priest of the household and to get virtually all of the wealth of the, of the parents. Now there was a problem here because the Bible indicates that God had chosen who? Jacob. But Isaac had his heart set on Esau because Esau could cook the best stew. A little sad, isn't it? Here's one of the great saints of God. He says, I'm going to give you my birthright, but go and get me some, a good, real, red meal. And then after I've eaten, I'm going to bless you. But Isaac, this great saint of God, because he wasn't thinking straight and because he wasn't seeing what he was doing, was going against the plan of God. And that was a dumb thing to do. Because saints on occasions do dumb things. Verses 5 and onwards. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. She was on the second phone. Hmm? That's an awful thing, ladies, to do. It's a big sin. Big sin. Hear that? Big, big sin. Really big. Now, Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. Her ears were flapping. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, But my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Now she's a good woman and she's a schemer. And she knows the plan of God that Isaac is doing the wrong thing. And so she says, I'm going to help God out even if I've got to swear even if I've got to lie even if I've got to deceive because as everybody knows the end justifies the means and therefore if the end result is good God will overlook my crookedness have you ever heard that before I hear this from professing Christians almost every day of the week. Hey, we're doing it for the glory of God. Therefore, it's okay to cheat. It's okay 
to steal. It's okay to lie. Can't you see the great results we have? The end justifies the means. The Bible says in the New Testament, those who talk this way, their damnation is just. And so, Mrs. Isaac concocts a plan takes things into her own hands. I was reading this week this statement out of a commentary, and it's a good one. Listen, when men set their heart upon a course of action not in accord with the strictest standard of right, their foolish hearts grow dark. White looks black, and wrongs look right. And whenever what God has clearly said to be all wrong appears to be all right, the hypnotic power of the tempter is complete. Did you know, my friend, that people can talk themselves into believing that black is white and white is black and lying is right? And they come to the place where they speak evil of good. They speak evil of good. And they speak good of evil. And so, to help God out, Rebecca says, just go ahead and do it. And this story tells you a little bit about uh, the boy. Because he says, he doesn't say, mother, this is wrong. He says, what if I'm caught? That's his Christianity. What if I'm caught? What if I'm caught? He doesn't say, this is wrong. Mother, this is wrong. He says, what if I'm caught? I should not ask the question, what if I'm caught? I should ask the question, is it right? That's the question. And then the next verse, verse 13 his mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. Now, I'd like to remind you there is a curse. and The curse is the consequences. God forgives, but he doesn't remove the consequences. Verses 14 and onwards. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Now before you go any further, I discovered only this week that these goats that are referred to here are most likely camel goats and they have... Uh, covering the, their hair is like silk. And she just didn't go and get an old goat and stick it on his face. Didn't do that. They weren't dumb. They may have been devious, but they weren't dumb. But she put it on around his neck, around his hands, maybe stuck it on with glue or something. But you know, she couldn't change his voice. Verse 17, then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. Verse 18 and onwards, 
he went to his father and said, My father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I've done as you told me. Please sit up and get some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. How often religion is used as a cloak to cover sin. God has blessed me. I've won many souls to Christ. Therefore I can lie, I can cheat, I can steal, I can do whatever. Religion that is used as a cloak to cover lying stinks in the nostrils of Almighty God and is an abomination to God. How often do you turn on television, people are making outrageous claims, asking for money and everything, they say, but the Lord, my God, is doing so and so. So God is used as an excuse for every sin. Religion either makes a person much better or else it makes him much worse. And only the religion that came from God can lead to God. But this religion here is religion of the basest sort. And here it's being practiced by those who are the professed people of God, which makes it even more abominable. Please read on. Please read on. The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Here is the great pretender. But remember this, he who deceives will be deceived. And later on, as we discover next week when I talk on the wedding night and the morning surprise, he was deceived, and not once, but over and over again. The voice of Jacob and the hands of Esau. Will you think of these words? Here we have the voice of a pious pretender saying all the right oily words but the hands, the actions are those of Esau, the great apostate. The Bible says that the New Testament, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. How many of us have the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau? If there is one thing that God delights in, it is transparent honesty. There is no greater compliment than to say of a man or a woman, what you see is what you get. He is what you see. But here we have a man who is two men. Notice verses 22 and onwards. 
Jacob went close to his father Isaac who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau? he asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and of the earth richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. And may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. And then notice the drama. This book, my friend, is just so full of drama. Notice the drama. Notice what happens. Verse 30. After Isaac had finished blessing him and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me of your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? He is to see me these two times. He took my birthright. Now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you not have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. The will of God was accomplished, but not how God wanted it. The sovereignty of God was revealed and the right boy got the right blessing. But God didn't need Rebecca's scheming or Jacob's lies. When there is a problem, we don't need to solve God's problems. But the best thing we can do is to put the problem in God's hands and leave it there. And the rest of the chapter tells us that Rebekah never saw Jacob again. He was afraid of his life and so he ran away. And he left the campsite 
destitute, fearful, and forsaken. His mother said goodbye to him, and the boy that she loved so much, she lost. Because she couldn't leave it in God's hands. She was a good woman, but she made a stupid mistake. And if these things were done by the greatest of the saints, what about us, I say? But in all of these things, through the foolishness of men, the grace of God shines through. And God wasn't finished with Jacob. He ran away. Chapter 28 talks about the ladder to heaven. Verse 1 to 5. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. That Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. Now this man goes on the same journey that Eliezer, Abraham's servant, had made almost a hundred years ago. He goes back. And now he's a long way from home. Notice verses 10 and 11. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, Mesopotamia. So he's a long, long way from home. And verse 11, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head, lay down to sleep. Some years ago, I'd been traveling through Syria by myself, and I got back to Damascus and found that the planes had been canceled, and no flights out. And I had to travel by myself with an Arab driver from Damascus down to Oman, over the most dangerous part of the Middle East, in the middle of the night. As we traveled down there, you could look over, we came down in the Golan Heights area, you could look down into Israel. Everywhere there were tanks and soldiers. I was by myself. And after we traveled for about four hours, the car broke down. And so I was stuck in no man's land. And I got out. There were soldiers everywhere. <laughs> I had no fear at all. I enjoyed it immensely. And I got out and I looked up at the stars. The stars were just like diamonds strung on velvet. You do not need to be afraid when you're by yourself if God is with you. But this boy here, or this man here, was afraid because of what he'd done. He had a guilty conscience, lonely and afraid. So he goes to sleep with a stone under his head. Verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, 
I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. This is an amazing story. It tells us wherever we are and whatever we've done, we are not alone. Can you hear this? Earth is connected to heaven. And the angels travel to and fro from this earth. Earth is connected to heaven. And God is there, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord. God sees me, even when I've made a mess of things and am running away. God is still there. Not only does he see me, but God assures me of his presence and protection. And he went on and spoke to this silly man and said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Notice, please, verse 16. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place, he said, but I didn't know it. Let me say to those who are going through dark times, in those dark, dark times the Lord is there even though you don't know it. And he said when he woke up, this is a hellhole. I was forsaken. But I've discovered that this is the gate of heaven. God is here in the worst circumstances that you can imagine God is there the worst circumstances can be indeed the house of God and the gate of heaven you and I may go through dark experiences but there is always a ladder that reaches to heaven and then verses 18, 18 and onwards Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Though the city used to be called Luz. Bethel means the house of God. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I've, made, that I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. It is always appropriate, particularly after we've gone through a dark experience, to renew our vows to God, even with tithing. And so I will be faithful to God. What is the message of these chapters? I've merely touched on it. Listen, but here are some. When we are determined to do God's will, he doesn't forsake us even when we make foolish mistakes like Isaac and Rebekah. We must pay the price of the consequences of our sins, but there is mercy and forgiveness for all. While God chastises his children, he doesn't forsake them. That should be a comfort to you. And even the darkest night 
may be the house of God and the gate of heaven when God is there. Therefore, my friend, I say to you, therefore in everything, choose to do the will of God. Amen. Let us kneel down and we'll have prayer together. Dear Father, we thank you for these, this sacred history. The stories of men like Abraham and women like Sarah. And then there was Isaac and Rebekah. And Jacob and Esau. And through their lives we can see the hand of God. We thank you that even when your children do dumb, silly things. And bring terrible heartache upon themselves and upon others. That God isn't finished with them. That there's mercy and there's grace and there is forgiveness. And there is a stairway to heaven. Help us to realize today that the darkest night when we feel all alone can be transformed by God into the house of God and into the very gate of heaven. Bless these dear people here today. Help us not to do your work in our way, but help us to do your work in your way. And when we have problems that we cannot handle, just to take them to the Lord and leave them there. Thank you for this great consolation today. We want you, Lord, in our hearts. Come into my heart again today. Wash me personally in the blood of Jesus. Forgive me for my sins, which are many. Wash this congregation from their sins because their sins are many too. And help us to realize that if we are faithful to God and hold fast, one day we're going to sit down for a million years or two and talk to Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca and rejoice in God's amazing grace. We worship you and thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.